With the crazy world we live in today, many of us seek adventure of the unknown. Join the five of us everyday Aussies from all walks of life, share stories from men and women of all hunting camps. From tips and techniques to the emotional rollercoaster ride fulfilling a lifelong dream, there is a story to be told by all. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. G'day guys, welcome to another episode of Hunting Camp Down Under. Uh, this week we've got Toby Hines joins up with Ryan O'Connor of the Stag Royal Podcast from New Zealand. Uh, boys catch up with great chat and I thought uh, it was the best we get this back underway with uh, given all the, the chaos in the world at the moment. I thought uh, nothing better than listen to a few podcasts and uh, get our mind away from it all and uh, hopefully let's get us excited to, um, to get back into the field and, and forget about the the dramas back home. So anyway, guys, um, I know it's been a long time in between drinks, but uh, we're still having to get there. Life gets busy, but um, hopefully we can get on a bit of a rhythm here now and uh, get my house back into gear and, and get a few more out. So thanks for your patience, kind words, and uh, the encouragement to get going again. And uh, I hope you join this episode with uh, Toby Hines and Ryan O'Connor. There's a lot of stuff happening in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> a, a lot of changes. Um, in, in the world and it's going to affect our, uh, well, it's going to affect New Zealand's economy and the hunting environment. It's going to affect a lot of Australians heading over. But, um, so, well, I've, I've got on the show today, I've got Ryan O'Connor from North Island NZ. Yeah. Um, how you going, Ryan? Yeah, good, mate. I, um, tell you Aussies away, I managed to find a deer in, in public land last night, so... Yeah, it's, yep. you, you've talked, right. to, me, talked to me at the right yeah. time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I flicked through that. You got it yesterday afternoon, was it, or in the morning? Yeah, last last night around about 6 o'clock or so. Um, yeah, it was yep. a, uh, you could describe what we were in in three ways, depending on the season, I suppose. It was either a gulch or a slip or a creek. and um, yeah, just depended how high up you were or, or, as I said, I guess what season it was or how many earthquakes there had been. But, yeah, it was quite yeah. large, large sort of scree stuff and either side were these nice bush areas that looked pretty good. And, yeah, top top of that, there was some nice meadows and, yeah, spotted one and then we are creeping up to try to get a better position on her and then saw another one a little bit lower down, easier to aim at and so... Find it up at about 400, and yeah, it's now in my freezer. You seem to be keeping a consistent, consistently full freezer lately with um, with the way the rate you've been going. So it's um, yeah, so, been, been touch and go. Secret don't last as long. <laughs> been a oh, they taste taste a little bit better than red deer. Yeah, that, that they also do. So, you know, it's a cash 22. Get a red and you fill your, sinker for, uh, fill your freezer for longer, but get a seeker and it's way tasty. <laughs> yeah, but they're quite, I didn't even realise I um, only went to a, a hunting expo and one of the fellas had one there from the North Island and they're tiny. And I had the uh, I'd perceived like perception of a much bigger deer, but they're quite a small animal. Yeah, um, I think a stag. Or an older hind might be, you know, half decent. But, yeah, definitely the yearling hind I shot in August and then the spiker I shot in December, um, yeah, they weren't the biggest. <laughs> yeah, but they're easy to carry the whole thing out. 
I was about to say, which made it good for that, that second one because I had to carry it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for our, our Aussie um, listeners, um, just uh, might as well uh, introduce yourself and sort of what you do and your profession and the fact that you're a, a host on probably one of the better hunting podcasts in uh, New Zealand. Yeah, have I don't I think you're going to run out of people soon. You've been you've interviewed some of the best Kiwi hunters out there and in the no guys. I'm like, how can there be so many? But um, yeah, give us a bit of a rundown. Sell yourself for a minute. Cheers, Marty. Well, I'm actually an optometrist and I'm a I'm a born again hunter. Some people become Christians in their twenties, but um, no, I became hunter. Um, grew up in Southland, bottom of New Zealand, handy to places like Fiordland and and central otago but and even southland itself has got fantastic hunting um duck shooting's pretty big down there like they they uh reschedule the rugby season on opening weekend so that everyone can get out and and go duck shooting and, and that sort of stuff so surrounded by plenty of hunters but basically growing up on matani and and we, we would take the 22 with us camping every now and again and and if we we're lucky we'd go for a walk around someone's farm and you know, try clean up the rabbit population, which Central Otago, they're pretty abundant and be, be a bit like you guys over in Australia. But yeah, um, sports person growing up and, and academic, trying to go to uni and became an optometrist. And, and by the time that was all done, I still hadn't done any hunting. So yeah, once that was over and I was able to afford a firearm, got the firearm, and then it was just a matter of, right, I suppose you've got to go and do this thing now and um, spend... 10 years wandering around the bush, trying not to get lost, trying to find what where animals might hide out. Um, and yeah, as I said, in December last year, finally managed to get one on public land. And yesterday was a was a second public land deer, so that was pretty awesome. And then when it comes to the podcast, um, as an optometrist, you know, you deal with one person every half an hour or 40 minutes or so, and, and you have these recurring conversations and just thought that, you know, podcasting might be a better way to reach more people and talk about more broad topics. And sort of once Tarmageddon came along last year um, and, and had Joseph Peter on, um, and, and also I'd had Adam, Kav- Adam Kavner on, who you've spoken with. Um, yeah, I moved back to New Zealand and had this flurry of, of hunters come on board and it was kind of like once you get one, you get them all. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's definitely been a, a good listen and, and I've listened to quite a few of your hunting ones and they're all very, not outspoken, but yeah, pretty passionate in a lot of ways. The Kiwis and is a switched on with what's going on because it, there's not as many people um, care as deeply or, or as enthusiastic, so it seems, in Australia for the, the fact that a minute someone threatens something, it's like, we should, I wish we had the same attitude where um, they're taking it away from us, but it seems like everyone sort of knuckled down and got together and then once there were a couple of voices, they all got behind it. And Yeah, I know a lot of Australians put in and um, voice their opinions and sign petitions and things like that. I still get like spam email from every politician that I put a email through about the the tarkal and something else to keep getting these regular this is what we're doing this week in this community but um yeah it's it's great to hear it directly from the guys that are over there and it's a refreshing 
are refreshing and sort of um, slightly inspirational the way that some of those fellas talk about their hunting and um, and their hunting in exactly like your hunting, New Zealand's hunting, yeah. and um, what what potentially they're trying to trying to change and especially the gun laws and everything else that massive change at 2019 in New Zealand it's um, it's great for you to provide them with a voice also so um, yeah good on you for that yeah, I guess it says for me like having this platform established and you know for someone who's 10 years into something and put so much time and, and a little bit of money into it to then have all those rights taken away now um, I've been an avid, you know, reader of publications and and read the odd hunting book, and you know, I'll always sit down and watch watch hunting shows or, or hunting videos on YouTube and stuff. And then for the potential for that to be gone from me, to be able to talk with people that know what they're talking about and have got experience is just, you know, it's pretty privileged. And like, it's kind of the selfish side of hosting a podcast as you get to. So to say, hey, I've got a platform. Do you want to come on and have a conversation? And then as it comes across, you get to hear all these absolute gems. And I suppose New Zealand as a country, since I think around the 70s or so, it's been pretty much open slather on going after deer. Um, so there's sort of two or three generations of people that, you know, just go and get out there. And, and then for that to be no longer a thing, you know, it might need to be the way that we do it. We might have to to sort of start licensing going hunting or something but um yeah we we need to protect it all this way of life that we've known for 50 odd years and, and more traditionally you know it's been around since late 1800s um could well be gone now what that means for the ecology which is why um sort of the hunting side of things wants to be banned or not banned or eliminated how that's going to work if there's no hunters out there taking animals, I don't know. But yeah, it's uh, it's a bit of a catch twenty two. Uh, keep what you wish for 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 the other side of the argument. I think. Yeah, they they are similar here within regards to I. After the bushfires, there um, big uh, issues with pest species becoming more dominant through the where the natives are more vulnerable mm. because our pest species are. Uh, bigger animals, they've got more ability to get away from the thick stuff versus the natives and the marsupials, which are a lot smaller. And they, they have the feeling that the pest species are going to dominate. And it's, it's like the, there's no options to send the country, and New Zealand is even more so. There's You can't, it's just not open paddocks to go and you just don't bait stuff and you can't just fly over the top and shoot everything with a chopper. Like all the, all the farmers and all the, the properties where all the people shoot deer and and rabbits and all the trapping, all those uh, little animals and stuff. They just people don't realise. I don't think I don't think anyone ever counts what farmers, what um, private hunters do for farmers, hmm. especially on fringe country. And and they they won't yeah they they won't get that here the same as they just don't understand and they just think once we stop all the hunters that's our emotional needs covered. Now how are we going to spend all these billions of dollars to to maintain these, like keep these things under control. So, you know, it's a, it's it's hard. You'd probably have the, which is why another reason to get you on is you spoke to so many guys in regards to the situation over there, um, from all over, NZ, and on 
and impacting on on like some of them are, are guides and others are just privateers and backcountry hunters who just live for it and um what the impact of culling and baiting and anyone who follows um what's his name the kiwi bushman would know he, he's often posting impacts of of the baiting programs in the mm. river systems but it's um What's your take on it so far? What what have you gathered up from all the intel? Has has starting off with the tar and then the gun restrictions, has it affected the uh, the the image at all over there for hunting? Like, has it affected the people that come in to, to guide? Have they have, have guides noticed it's harder to get get the um, the tar or the chamois or or free range reds or anything like that since this in, uh, and have they had issues with um, clients coming in and having gun restriction issues? I guess, the yeah, I guess we're lucky currently that um, that bill hasn't been pushed through yet and they were sort of trying to pass it on the anniversary of, of the shooting last year, which I don't know. That's... Yeah, that in the paper, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's one whole one whole side of the parliament fighting against it, isn't there? Yeah, and um, the uh, we've we've got a sort of Labour led government there at the moment, but it's also made up of a um, of the uh, small portion of the Greens, which who have the the conservation portfolio, which is where a lot of you know that's where the the tarkal come from, and you know there's potential this year for um, culling of of deer going on but we will wait and see um and yeah I, th I think in terms of free range guiding you know someone that as i said sort of kicked it off for me with hunters was, was joseph feeder he he's more concerned with what's going to happen in in 10 years time when we've cleared away you know all these all these nannies and is the potential for guys to, you know, take an informed opinion out there and one shoot up a whole bunch more nannies when it's already being done um, by the paid people, and, and two, not really age or score the bull population, and then we have you know no breeding population and, and no uh, quality males out there, and and this potential for and I think that's un, unlikely given given the range of the animals but you know there's a potential for the quality to drop again and, and you know it's probably um, it's probably a little bit unfortunate that the tarkals come along with some of the greatest bulls that have been shot for, for ages you know sort of 14 inches is starting to become the um, you know the target instead of the sort of target. yeah, yeah well. just, just they've got they've got into um into some good management a good 10 years worth of hunters taking the right animals and the big ones eluding hunters as well as being left as left with some big animals and now yeah they're at that point where they're knuckling down on them yeah but i guess um and if you listen to cam speedy and we were lucky enough to have him at our um new zealand deer stalkers at the start of the month to talk about seeker but if you listen to his sort of opinions and that's why I don't, I don't think the population will actually collapse but we just might lose a little bit of that quality for a while but 
when it comes to a, a true trophy management herd, by his opinions, it really is about getting rid of the girls and, and having as many blokes as you can and, and then selectively managing the the, the boys. And, and so if, if you sort of see that ball that's that's old and he's he, he you know, he had a few bad years, then taking him's not gonna be so bad. Um so yeah, and you know, it's a wild population and so it's probably more about the quality of their feed and, and so if they you know, if the numbers aren't gonna be so intense, well then we might still see these fourteen point uh, fourteen inch bulls because they've been able to, you know, fill fill up their guts for a number of years and uh, with that get really good horn growth. Yeah. Also with those and it's the same with the deer, you you'd want a uh, a low low doe ratio to uh, like high buck numbers so that you've got a, a more interesting rut. <laughs> yeah. Plus um, but it you often get when there's not as big a numbers, they're not as easy to pick off. So those smaller groups get time to hide away as well. So you'll get if you haven't got a herd to chase, if you're only chasing five or six tar, they're gonna be harder to spot mm. in the mountain versus thirty of them. So if you've got lots of smaller mobs, you've got the opportunity for those bulls to stay out of sight for longer as well. Um, yeah. Possibly another way to look at it. But, but yeah, it sort of goes up and down and depending on who the media is, is how much we hear over here. But it's sort of at a stagnant point until recently when that bill got pushed through for the gun laws, like all trying to push it through. We sort of don't get kept up unless we chase it. Um, but as you know, we all, a lot of Aussies love hunting the NZ tar and reds and, and fellow, whatever we, we can. But um, the older coronavirus uh, right on point is um, going to put a, a slow to that this year, I think, too. I don't know if you saw the press release. Yeah. Or um, all coming into the country. Some, oh, I haven't called the number. I was going to call it tonight to see what type of isolation, whether they class isolation in a hire car on the way to the West Coast as isolation, or whether we've got to actually not go to any shopping centres or anything like that when we fly in, which would yeah. affect our stocking up. <laughs> yeah. uh, two, two weeks in the bush, I think, is pretty isolated. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I don't think... It, if we got sick in there, we'd just blame the weather. <laughs> that would be the easiest thing. I got a flu because it's minus 20. Yeah. So, no, he, um, have you, um, is that on your radar? So, what you, as a hunting career, you sort of like said you went for 10 years. Did, did you not really have a group of mates that were full into it as much as you wanted to be, or, or sort of, um, someone to look up to or follow around? What, what took you to the point you're at now to develop into a better hunter? Yeah, it was, it was basically that. Um, having gone to uni in Auckland, um, it's you know pretty metropolis. It, it gets gets a bad rap uh, for being pretty uh, poncy. Um, and in saying that though, they've got one of the best deer talkers clubs in the countries right now. Um, they're, they're doing great things up there, which is fantastic to see from you know a major city. But um, yeah, uh, none of the guys I flattered with hunted. Um, when I even when I went to university in Dunedin. Um, the two guys I ended up flirting with, I had been hunting with, but again, they, one of them was from a farm and the other one just sort of was a bit like me, had an interest in it. And yeah, then I moved to Christchurch and I didn't have a firearm as well. That probably hindered, hindered me. 
and then I finally got a fire on when I when I moved to the Waikato. But um, there I was playing rugby, so you know training and, and, and playing, and then so it was just kind of you know Sunday morning missions or, or the odd overnighter, and and yeah, just going by myself basically. Guys preferred to finish rugby and get on the booze instead of um, going out for a walk in the bush. And yeah, it's it's one of those places where the population's not that high and, and the bush is pretty dense and you've got to find your little uh, honey hole before you can get successful and um, probably, probably didn't find it or, or nearly found it and, and then I, I moved on. So ended up over there in Australia. <laughs> yeah, did you did you get to do any? I can't remember because I only, only just... Um... Started listening to your podcast when you, I think you had twelve months left yeah. here in Australia. Yeah, no, I got to get moved, rid of me. Moved, yeah, moved to northern New South Wales, and so um, yeah, it, it probably would have been a couple of hours drive to go to the border range or down down to Grafton area or something like that. Um, and so with with young family and obviously not having a firearm with me or you know hadn't picked up a bow by that. By that stage, so no, nah, I didn't didn't get into any hunting. There was a guy at the at the gym I went to that um, sort of had family down towards Grafton, and yeah, they chased the old pigs around, which but again, never got never got to join them on that. Yeah, I, I, when we spoke, you were gonna, I think, and you're talking to Adam about uh, trying to get to do something before you left, but it never eventuated. Yeah, um, yeah you didn't seem to have a whole lot of time either. Yeah, I think I think Victoria might be the place I come over and and check out. And spoken with quite yeah. a few of the blokes from Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, there's plenty of it's full of full of uh, public land in Victoria, which is great. So you don't. Um, everyone has their spots, of course, but you don't feel as I don't think a lot of guys aren't as cagey about inv- inviting guys along yeah. when they hunt public land. It's sort of a common common spot. They um don't yeah it's not like taking someone to your private block um you can be more a bit more generous with it yes and plus if with enough information which you should have and knowing enough people um they could just send you out um to fend for yourself <laughs> yeah. if, if you wanted to go that way yeah just watch out but, for snakes ah <laughs> oh, there's plenty of them around you don't have to watch out they'll find you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we have plenty of those in Bellina, eh? That, um, my partner managed to walk walk in front of a, a brown, I think, in the first two weeks we were there. So that was, you know, introductory to Australia. He's, he's one of the most poisonous snakes. Yeah, lucky they don't. They, they sort of stay out of your way most of the time unless you step right on them and then you're in trouble. <laughs> I, I, I was out yesterday, day before yesterday. Yeah, Friday. Yeah, there's the first. I I don't see that many snakes. So I don't look for them. I think that's why I don't really care if they're around. So I never get to see that many. But there was a good six foot brown cruising over a log, um, which is pretty unusual. I normally see a lot of a lot of black snakes more than anything. Yeah. Maybe just because of their colour. But um, they don't seem to bother me unless I'm. I'll still yell if I step on one. But um, yeah, if I see them first, it's not a real issue. Yeah. So don't have to worry about that kind of stuff in the you guys don't have any snakes, do you? Or do you have one type? 
No, we've got nothing. Any. So nothing. the most um, the most you'll get annoyed with is rats, possums, and um, I doubt a state would come visit, but they're, they're around as well. But, yeah, I, th- I thought we were going to get bugged by a possum last night, but managed to stay away. We must have stunk bad enough or something. <laughs> yeah, come and ch- chase food in your camp, do they? Yeah. Oh, they're at- they're out. They're an Aussie import anyway. Then things you can shoot them. Yeah. Well, that's that's sort of um, one of the alternative debates that people sort of say is, you know, let us bring a twenty-two and and be able to use it with a spotlight while we're in there, and we'll take care of some of the yeah. problems. Like last night, walking walking back down, I think we put put this, um, the head torch on about four or five possums. There was there was one, yep. one stage where we had one one either side of the of the creek bed and it was kind of like oh, look at those bloody things, bright orange eyes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it'd be great for a little um, silence twenty two to just pop them off, keep yeah. the serenity in the in the in the mountains. You're not making too much noise. <laughs> yeah, and it's you know when you're talking about guys um, doing the fringe country, that's where you know a lot of farmers and or kids. Of farmers do a lot of good. Um, there was a wicked article on on our news the other day of um, a potaki is sort of the bottom of Bay Plenty going into um, the East Cape, and they had a, these these couple of mums have organised a competition that's the opposite of usual hunting competitions, and it's basically about getting kids along to bring as many possums and rabbits and um, stoats and goats as they possibly can, and, and yeah, everyone gets a prize as well. It's a pretty fantastic little event for that for a sort of a small community. Yeah, we we got um got that shared by a few people on Facebook. Yeah, I bet it it probably caused some outrage, but it's good to normalise that kind of behaviour. Um, and anyone that does get cranky can suck a fat one, but it it, it was good to see there was quite a large um, particip- participation by the look of it as well. Yeah, and th- thankfully the story was reported on our Channel One, which is our sort of national um, uh, broadcaster. It's kind of like ABC, I guess. And um, it was the sort of the after news stuff. So um, Jeremy Wells, who hosts that, he uh, is from one of our sort of more risque radio stations. Um, they're called Hauraki or Hauraki. Um, and they sort of came about by doing pirate radio. They they sort of got a boat. Oh, a bit rebellious. Yeah, they got a boat out in, in the Auckland Harbour, and they were in international waters and started broadcasting rock and roll to the to the land sort of stuff. And yeah, so that, that, oh, as a as an inspiration to that that pommy mob that did it. Yeah, like was it inspired by that pommy mob that put that big ship out? Is that yeah. where they got the idea from? Yeah. yeah, it was a that that story that movie is basically the same as these blokes say, eh? and you know I think they got shipwrecked a little bit as well. But yeah, so this yeah. guy Jeremy Wells is is on on the morning show, and um, they even they even got uh, international recognition. They asked the prime minister whether or not he feeds the chickens, so they had this um, sort of ten questions thing, and one of it was like, do you do wheeze in the shower? And, um, have you fed the chickens in the last month? And so they did that to the prime minister. I think he was on <laughs> on uh, the Daily Show or whatever. But yeah, and then they also, they're also on this thing um, called the ACC, which is the Alternative 
commentary collective. So instead of uh, listening to the one day and listen to the usual Babylon, you can listen to these guys talk absolute trash, drinking too many beers and, and just be... Oh, that'd be gold. Oh, yeah. And for a while there, they had the sports years programmed into them. So you could be at the ground listening listen to these guys and so they get chance going and all sorts of it was fantastic <laughs> yeah that's unreal yeah so for, for, going back to the the news story before he even before the thing even got started he basically said this one's for the peace uh president of the pc brigade can you please you know write your letter in to me and and, and i'll t- tell you to piss off sort of thing <laughs> and then <laughs> he's <laughs> so, preparing for it tell him it there then say what you want but um, yeah, yeah, he's it's not like, going to make any difference. Yeah, he's like, this is bloody awesome, man. and it is. It's you know, and when small small town New Zealand becoming more and more isolated as you know automation and and um, especially if we as we convert to more dairy, um, you know, you only need a couple of blokes to to run a massive mob, um, yeah, and, and everyone sort of moves to the city and and the the rest of the country gets blamed for, for all the issues. Um, yeah, to, to have a whole bunch of people from a massive region come together in the name of hunting is pretty bloody awesome. And, you know, like going back to your earlier question about a mentor or, or a group of mates, well, that's the sort of place that you'd meet a mentor and a group of mates. And, and that's what's been really good about joining the Deerstalkers since coming back to the country is, you know, meeting people and, and, and sort of exchanging information and exchanging tips and going out on hunts with people is, is bloody awesome. Yeah, that's what I like about this podcast like that we do. Like it, it's an excuse for me to meet people yeah. and um, talk to people. And I don't even need to go hunting, but just to, to share conversation on points of view or, or ideas or tests or trials and everything's a benefit, everything, or even what areas to, to visit or what to stay away from or, People to watch out for the fakies that may <laughs> appear good, but that it's all bull crap or it's all smoke and mirrors. So yeah, it's and it's good those clubs. There's a lot of guys in there that it is. I've uh, I went to one meeting yeah, and it's full of guys that none of them were on social media. It was a it was a, a ADA meeting here in Victoria yeah, and there's some I can imagine there's a lot of older fellas in the room. There's a lot of knowledge. And they look at things a whole lot differently to what our generation looks at it. Even like the, just the hunting side of the way they did it, because they've been doing it like that for 40 years. And um, even with all the info we're presented with now, the stuff they had would still be really beneficial. And the only way you're going to get that is by meeting them in person yeah. or hearing them speak in person. It says it can't be written or or shown or YouTubed, if you know what I mean. Like that kind of uh, different information is what you get through meeting and greeting. Yeah, absolutely. And you're bringing up the fakies there. You've, you've been lucky enough to even feature on a few pages that aren't your own, Toby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they're they're all like I think they're all got the same similar traits. Those ones they've all got a a full stop and something else and some fake name and yeah, they copy and paste. They even they even use the wrong descriptions off the wrong posts. They stole even photos of hunting camp down under. And they were using the descriptions off one photo of 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 Josh Rogers, Josh Rogers calling him me and calling me Josh Rogers in another one. They'd swapped over the, they just copied and pasted the 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 dialogue at the bottom of it, and um, 
put it in. But yeah, there's it's um yeah, it's great to have that. Yeah, all this this um technology is good, but still, there's nothing beats that that getting to face to face um and meeting people face to face and having mm-hmm. that it, it's so so much different and people i didn't appreciate it till i went to a club i just thought yeah i don't need a club clubs are for guys who don't hunt a lot or they need social life but then i went there but there's so much so much more benefit you can't be told till you go and yeah. then you go and you have the epiphany and you're like oh wow yeah i'm an idiot <laughs> not, not, <laughs> For not doing this earlier and maybe like yourself you're like oh, i should have joined that club 10 years ago i would have been eating venison a lot quicker yeah no and and, and i guess that sort of face-to-face value sort of stuff like um when it came to like, like i've been going through a few personal things in my life at the moment that, that i'm not too public on just yet but um yeah, sort of message a guy that lives over the other side of the of the ranges here and says, what are you doing as in yesterday? And he said, oh, yeah, well, I'm keen. We'll meet you halfway type of thing because um, I was down, down the bottom of the North Island at, at my mate's wedding and it was like, um, got there on the Thursday night and, and overindulged. So so the Friday was a bit dusty and, and then we had the wedding on the, on the Friday and um, I think it was quite good to do that first night because it meant that, come the second night I had a bit more of a plan you know stayed on the wines and drunk plenty of water went home to bed and had a good sleep and I was actually feeling all right yesterday but even so it would have been pretty easy to just go oh no I won't worry about it or or I'll better get home and sort sort my life out sort of thing but it was yeah ultimate commitment and especially when you have someone being accountable to that's also going to drive a couple of hours and yeah you just sort of get out there and and you know, you you walk in, on into the track, you're going along a little creek and in the trees and you just sort of everything just disappears for you. You know, you you take the old snap to to remember the, the time, but you're just not even caring about the thing in your pocket and you know, you just completely honed in on what it is that you're trying to do. And then even walking out today, it was kinda of like walking along going, I don't remember any of this. I was just so honed in trying to um see where animals might be or or listen or, or whatever and and yeah it's truly therapeutic getting out there and getting away from the city and all the town and all your problems or thoughts and everything it's, it's pretty crack up yeah it gives you um it gives you it's like when you're trying to run too many programs on your computer <laughs> and then you just got to close them all down and reboot it and it's a bit like that with you when you go bush and you got a heap of loaded things up and you're waiting or worried about something else and then you go out out into the scrub and everything one by one all those things just drop off because there's no no room for that stuff in your head when you're out in nature yeah you're, you're just that's, that's a, I don't know what it is I, do, there's, I suppose lots of people do it for lots of different things and we've discussed this I discussed this with Adam Kavanagh there's it's like a, a mild form, and you might know because you would have done tried meditation or done some meditation, but it's like a conscious meditation. But even when you're out there, it's just everything switches off. All you're doing is looking for shadows, yeah. looking for a movement of that deer. It takes all your concentration, but at the same time, it doesn't take as any energy. It yeah. doesn't wear you out to sit out there and 
breathe in the clean air and and walk it doesn't take there's no mental strain on you why you're out there and although it could mean the difference between eating dinner and starving depends what you packed in but it it still doesn't weigh on your mind um hunting like other activities which will be far less strenuous and probably in the big scheme of things far far less impactful on your life Mm. um and then but it's just yeah and you forget sometimes i don't know if you notice you you bear away from it and then when you decide to go and do it just that 10 minutes after you get out of the car and hit the ground walking you just forget that you needed that Mm. like should have come back last week or the week before or the week before that so and then finding someone like i said to walk with um that can be a good thing too depending who you're sharing it with yeah, so no. someone you can offer. Yeah, offload with, and especially you know, yeah. we we went out in, in summer, and um, I'm sure it's a bit like you guys over there. In the middle of the day, you kind of twiddle your thumbs and wonder what wonder what to do with yourself, and you know you can have, have your, you can have a nap, and then you <laughs> can, can have a nap for so long because like it still doesn't get dark till nine thirty, and you're like, oh shit, it's only only four o'clock. <laughs> yeah. Too too bloody hot to walk around. Um, but yeah, so then you just start yarning, and you know you could talk about the weather. But when you're out in the bush, the weather's pretty bloody obvious. And, and yeah. you know, yeah, the sports or work or whatever. But when you've got you know eight hours to kill, those conversations dry up pretty fast. So then you just start talking about other things. And then I think yeah. It's- but it's more of a you know there's no small talk you don't there's no small it's not there's no small talk in the bush you're not there to oh yeah how things going oh yeah it's good mate what are you up to oh not much no it's always um good deep conversation yeah you're both at a, the person you're with can offer advice as well because they're in the same um point of ease you know what yeah. i mean you're open-minded so. that is true right there's there's that's like, especially because you're in so much space and so much openness, if you just said, oh, yeah, how you going? Good. Well, then it'd be like, well, this is a sweet bloody trip, isn't it? Like, yeah. <laughs> you're, a, you're a shit bloke to hunt with. <laughs> <laughs> and so I guess, I guess that forces you to just sort of uh, try and expand your ideas just a little bit and, and, and dig deep into that vocabulary. Maybe if it is, you know, filled with a bit of profanities to colour color up the language. but. Gosh, you know, if you if you just said, "Oh, you're good," yeah, yeah, exactly that. You'd be a pretty shit hunting partner, and you wouldn't 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 get invited back. <laughs> yeah, and that's why it's good to have found hunting with a lot of guys that I have never met before. It's different. You can talk to people that you don't know about totally different things, and and also I don't know if you know, you're more inclined to take in what people tell you as well when you're out in the hunting camp, and yeah. um, more interested. Not that you're not normally, your brain's normally full of crap and shit normally, even just having a social night out. But out when you're sitting around a campfire or hunting, you remember what they tell you. And you're more interested in in them, things going on, or you know what I mean? There's more, it's a more fulfilling conversation, even if you talked about the same things, just because you're more absorbent. And more free with what you're talking about which is why as well i'd say that it, it's a, 
a great sort of reset for people. They can exhale all the crap mm. um, and have someone to discuss it with if, if they get in that situation. So, or you can talk about really good stuff yeah. and how your imaginary deer you're going to shoot tomorrow is just going to walk <laughs> out. <laughs> and I guess 14 point. Yeah, for that, there's like there's like nowhere to go. There's no report to write. Your laptop's not there. Your phone's not. Well, your phone might be there, but it's not bloody working. And so it's, nah. it's just it's just kind of like, well, what's the point in checking it or whatever? There's it just yeah. you know how people talk about these digital detoxes. Well, just go go in the bush. You can't use it, so then it becomes useless. It becomes a non-factor. Is, is you know that's one of the things Chucker Willock says. You know, if you want to do stuff, just make it non-factor. You know, have your clothes sitting yeah. there in the morning. Get up, put them on. Where you go? <laughs> yeah. And and same. And isn't it funny that when you go hunting, all of a sudden you can get up at five o'clock when it's still dark, or three o'clock when it's still dark, and get out there and climb yeah. out, and it's it's no worries at all. <laughs> and and if uh, like in winter time, I'll be like, yes, it's raining. Because <laughs> I know the hunting can be it's way better stalking with the bow if it's drizzly weather. But yeah. um, if I was to stay at home and have to mow the lawn, I'd be like, "Oh damn, it's raining! What what am I going to do now?" I'd, well, I got a job in the shed. But if you're, you're like, "Yes, I'm going hunting," I'd quite drizzly. The only weather I don't like windy weather. I yeah. I'll turn around and go home if I got gale force winds. But rain's not an issue or anything like that. But um. It's definitely it's one of those that you said those detox or you gotta you gotta have to do it. It's if you say to yourself when you go hunting, even if you're in reception, which I am for half of my hunt, the rest I'm not. Actually, yesterday is the first time I left on Friday. I left the phone in the car. No, it's not deliberately. I like to show photos and do the odd Insta story that I never post because I never shoot anything and it's real boring. So I always delete the Insta stories by the end of the hunt because it's just boring. But yeah, I left it in the car, but when I came back, yeah, I had six missed calls and messages and, and stuff like that. But I never used to hunt with it, so I don't know why it's so it's a dependable item now to hunt with because, what, well, there's as little as six years ago I'd, or even less, I didn't get reception where I hunted. There was none. Did you carry a camera? Carry yeah, I had a camera. Oh, no. Yeah, I had a film camera. Like, oh, no, when did I get a film, finish the film camera? And probably 12 years ago, I bought a 2005, 15 years ago, I got a digital camera. Yeah, I've always had a digital camera. Yeah. Um, to hunt with, yeah, and I've never needed. But now the phone, I'm, the priority of me buying a new phone is got to have a good camera. That's yeah. all I want. I don't want any of this other crap. I don't want any glass back. Bloody glass front wireless charging, bloody all that extra crap. I just want a good camera and something that can make phone calls and the battery doesn't go flat after 20, 20 hours or 12 hours or whatever. Yeah, and that's, the other, don't make that's the other good thing for hunting, eh? Hey? If you've got to go, go on with a good, good camera and good battery life, then, you, uh, yeah. then, then you're always going to be able to get that photo after you, you slogged it out for five days. <laughs> yeah, that's a, I, I do. That's I like that taking the technology for that reason i love reliving or sharing what what's happened so and like yourself yeah you do good stories where you're on your effort and regardless if you, you don't try and butter it up either you know you're yeah. normally buggered and and worn out um biking rivers or whatever or through the scrub so 
I think I think I just don't really care. Like I still, you know, it's been a, a long time hunting, but I'm still learning. And so if I can just, just sort of what I'm trying to do is try to communicate. This is what I'm trying to do, and and hopefully, and it has happened. People chip in and give you some advice. It's bloody awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got any tips for this or that? So, will this be your first this year? Be your first proper cigar raw, like yeah. or squeal or whatever they what do they call it? <laughs> <laughs> Going nuts, I think is what they call it. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's you know not to talk about the weather, but that's what we've you know we're sort of in this drought that just won't end won't end for us. Um, like where I was at my mate's place, um, south of here helping him with that fence it's just bone dry and, and yeah he had a little bit of green there the other day but I think already that stuff's gone like again the wind picks up and just dries out there's lots, lots of guys that have got rid of stock like there's plenty of empty paddocks and things yeah. like that. so yeah every week we sort of us in town and, and them out there look at the forecast kind of think well When's, when's there going to be a front come through and, and turn the bush and and um, chill off so that that things start to go? But yeah, it was quite exciting last night. There was uh, a red stag giving a bit of a bark, so and he had two hinds with him. So I guess they there must be the odd hind that's starting the cycle. You know, it's pushing on since the since the equinox, so they can't be far away yeah. from being in heat. So. We'll, we'll see how yeah, should. yeah, they should be. Um, as uh, people have said, we had we had that super bad drought. I there's no there's no explanation. We haven't had a drought as bad mm. on since the white fellas have been here anyway. And um, it's just broken to a degree. Dams are full, but our creeks aren't running constantly yet. Even, oh, our river here at home hasn't even run yet. But we've had enough rain to go from two years of dirt ruts <laughs> and roars to now grass that's knee high and I keep tripping over because all the rocks <laughs> I used to be able to see I can't see anymore but we, we went had a horrible rut last year because um, the deer were so it was hot it was 30 degrees some days Jesus. so uh, one they didn't have the water then they didn't have the energy because there was no feed so they would be vocal for a very short period of time in the morning if that and then that was it and then they'd shut down. The does wouldn't travel. They wouldn't. They it just was no activity. But this year, and we've had massive chopper shots. There's, there's a pro- property I hunted since God knows. I was I started shooting when I was eight, and I think I might have gone on there when I was eleven. Um, so twenty twenty five years, and one of my mates hunts it as well, and he went out there today. And since the chopper shoot. He didn't. This is the first time he's hunted it in 25 or 26 years and seen no deer oh. on it. So we've got a bumper season, but we got all that. They've just hammered the deer population. I reckon there's 10% of the deer in some areas that were there. So we've got ended this drought, but they, they did the last cull last year. Um, but yeah, we're going to have a great season for a rut. Cold temperatures, great feed, but. <laughs> At home, you know, I just don't think we have the deer. So there will be some. There'll be some going on. But I don't know whether that weather, whether you guys have still got the lasting effects of that drought and whether you'll change in a few months as well. Mm. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, well, you were saying about 
good good feed and low numbers. Hopefully that means that the ones that have the capability to grow a good paddle that, that they do. But um, you, you said there about does moving. Am, am I wrong in saying that um, fallow, it's kind of the opposite way around where the bucks sort of scrap it out in pads oh. and the does move in? Is that right? No, no, the bucks will move into an area where the does are and then right. create their turf and then set up their turf. But when when the 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 bucks would just run out of energy way too quick, they're all skin and bones last year. Normally they'd follow the does down to water mm-hmm. in the middle of the day. They'll still follow some does off their scrapes down to the water or down to the feed and, rut, and then they'll move back up into the bedding areas where they'll have a, a rut pad as well. Yeah. Um, and the satellite bucks would have moved between, but they, I think, I think this is my personal view is that they shot a lot more bucks in the culls than they shot does. Mm-hmm. When the bucks get hit, when they're in bachelor mobs, they stay together. I don't ever chase them, bomb a bucks. They don't scatter. But mm-hmm. does seem to separate a little bit more than the bucks do. And, and I've still got does around, but I haven't seen hardly any velvet bucks. And then just only a few rubbing out now, which normally I can look onto other properties because I've got a, a property right on the range and I can view from one spot and got like three neighbours and you can just view the cleared ridges. And I used to be able to watch the, the bucks in their bachelor mobs um, grow out um, in certain places, but we've just got nothing. So it'll still be a interesting, but it might be that they've just got so much, so many girls around versus like the, the ratio is way out that it, it may not be that um, exciting. The boys might have their work cut out for them. They're just, just all sitting there on a platter. Mm. So they won't have to be as competitive. But um, yeah, I guess there's another. Also got. Sorry, I was going to say you got also got the problem too. If, if you've got animals, how long has it been dry? Have you got any risk of underweight animals and not cycling because they're underweight, or you still got a, a drought for you guys is like a normal season for us, is it? That's right. Well, um, I, I took the jaw off that one last night because I want to find out like how old it was. But she was she was reasonably thin, like there wasn't much fat fat on her. She's she's still um, lactating, so whether that was with a, an older yearling or, or if there was a fawn around, I'm not sure. But yeah, it's it's kind of like there. She was in like if you're going to condition score, I sort of put up my hand on a rump to sort of check. She was probably a two or three, so she wasn't underweight or anything like that. And then there's, there's been, and that's what I was going to say, the good thing about social media is, you know, you get to see what's sort of around plenty of guys, you know, showing what's in velvet and what they're sort of watching on and then plenty, yeah. of, plenty of guys showing the fat on the back, especially fellow. There's been some bloody good conditioned animals. Granted, they might have been on crop or something, but, yeah, it's it's that, that's also the tough thing about in New Zealand. There's plenty of guys on ir- with irrigated crop that, you know, they've still got bloody healthy deer because <laughs> that's where the feed is and they've been eating it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, when it, but when it comes to the park, like, uh, there was there was good feed where we were. There was lupins everywhere, um, little little tufts of, of broadleaf and and um, Maui. Yeah, lots of, lots of good, good things that they could eat in this area. Um, whereas the Kawikas, being more beach forest, I don't know. Being being dry underfoot without much water might might be, I don't know. But yeah, you you see plenty of people showing the area 
and there's an upgrade area around it. You know, like I say, our drought's a bit different to your drought. <laughs> your drought, it doesn't rain for a week and it's yeah. a drought. Or... <laughs> no, it, has, it has been months, but our, our ranges yep. being, being a bit higher, I guess they accumulate a bit of, bit of moisture and, and things like that. So, you know, even though... Yeah, you do... You... You get some. Um, do you get still getting mist? You still got moisture in the air, which settles on the mountains and keeps that dampness. Absolutely. Or is it complete? Yeah. Oh, that's good because that we were getting points where, like, um, there was no. We had I don't know how long it was. We didn't have a fog for months and months and months just because there was zero moisture in the air. Mm. So even our timber that's on the top of the mountains facing the south was still. Or there was no moss on it. Mm. It was just all dry and crusty and yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's the other cool thing um, for hunters and, and like hearing from people like Cam Speedy, who's an, an ecologist and, and been following Seeker for what do you say the seventies or so. Like hearing hearing from people like him and talking about like their patterns and where they live, and he's got some papers published out there that you can read about the Seeker, and I think there's an equivalent one for the South Island Red Deer. You know, that's what I really would you know and i'm a bit of a sciencey geek so i love reading that sort of stuff but i think that's what would be really helpful for both new zealand and australia like if we can manage them and that's what i think is really cool about the north american model like here's the tag for how many that we need to get rid of yeah uh, unfortunately they're both pest species that have a massive impact on the environment but we can't um bridge a, a common ground where they've got to hit a point where the numbers are not impacting anything but they're sustainable enough that they create and generate an income that can cover for them being in that environment if you know what i mean yeah like a, a farmer is a hundred deer uh, chewing through 150 sheep's worth of, of food mm, so if right. he can create a revenue to offset that he'll be happy to keep those deer there but until they're given a value, we can't. It's it's sort of a butting our head against the wall. So that's what I was going to say about this coronavirus in NZ. If it affects guides that much, it would be a good a good example to show the deficit in income if they push to eradicate massive amounts of tar and deer. If this year the the virus inhibits travellers coming in and paying it would show the loss in income to the areas that that live off hunting mm. in the middle of the year like the good season like all the the west coast towns and stuff that get an on an influx in the tar like influx in the tar ballot or just in the good months it, it would be it'd be a with this um sickness or illness and restrictions it would be the only other thing that could be as close to it as possible to show what would happen if you eliminated that industry or reduced it or handicapped it. That's a really awesome idea because I think um, it's got to come from the people like the chopper pilots, like the people that are monitoring the numbers, um, if anyone's sort of monitoring the, the plant species that are in there because especially places like West Coast, Central Otago, um, their tourist destinations anyway and so it's very easy for the general public to say oh no they're just it's just from the lack of tourists but those specific industries and then yeah like i say looking at 
the outcomes of, of the ecology to say, you know, this is the impact that we actually have, um, both from an economic perspective mm. and from an ecology perspective, you know. Yeah, there's a bit of responsibility on those industries not to, you know, it's fair enough to complain that it's it's impacted their, them from an economic perspective, but then also uh, highlight the positive that they do for both um, the land that they're managing and also for the community that they're, they're a part of. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really awesome point that you just brought up and, and you know, hopefully people think about that. You'd be hard-pressed to not walk into a place in, on the West Coast in the peak of the hunting season or like in the spring or whenever, you know, those periods that everyone visits. Even us uh, Aussies over there, because we flood the joint for a little bit, <laughs> but we went into it. There was like, uh, one, two, there was about eight of us in the pub one yeah. night. Like, and that's that was one or two nights, plus the caravan park, plus another hotel in town, plus the hire car, plus all that. So we are doing it because it's harder and, and, and it is a lot cheaper than anywhere else, but that's still, we're still spending a couple of grand each yeah. to go over there for those 10 days. And, and that's, I'm not going to spend any of that now. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. not, I'm not giving the local bakery or the, <clears throat> the boy, I might buy a trinket for the kids and then buy a pie at the bakery and then go and have a night out after we get back and, go nuts because we're enjoying the good food and and grog like that the this is the only time you could measure that is literally mm. the only example of being able to measure that without taking it away fully yeah because, and, um, and then yeah go on sorry i was going to say even even myself thinking back to we we went to wanaka one year we got a wanaka raw ballot and it was the same weekend as Warbirds over Wanaka. So there's like heaps of people in Wanaka there already. But yeah, like you say, you're at the pub and it's just full of people going hunting and you're on the on the New Zealand flight and there's sort of, you know, a couple of rows of hunting bags in, in the in the overhead and there's a massive queue at the oversized because everyone's checking in their rifles. And yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's good. And, well, we, we went to Okatika and Pat forgot salt. Somewhere, so he's walked in the shopping centre and comes out with a, a heap of bags of salt. And I love's like, "You going hunting, bro?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Straight yeah. up, it's like, <laughs> it's like, well, obviously, it, it even even for that, even this, um, even this travel, people aren't travelling as much because of the risk of getting an illness. Even in in house travel from locals, mm. from you guys travelling south to hunt is going to be restricted. Mm. So even if any of the, the, not only the international, but even the local guys, it's going to go, oh, I'm not going to bother wasting my five days off annual leave to go and hunt tar if the chances of getting them have reduced. So, or I know that they've baited that valley for reds, so I'm not going to hunt for reds just because they baited it. So, or baited it for stoats and everything else, but you know what the other everything else dies anyway. But um, yeah, they're just, they would, it'll turn your locals away as well. As soon as their rumour goes out, so when they chop a shot up here, they did annihilate it. They just like cleaned up massively. The amount of deer is really, really good and really effective, especially for a place, like I say, I'm a, a hunting block hunter for years and years and years. Although it's disappointing, I watch those farmers shoot every week, shoot deer under the light. They had to. There's just so many of them. Like mm. They shot 219 deer one year in a 12-month period. They only had 1,200 acres. 
Like, that's a lot of deer. So that they were shooting on that, they shot on one side of that property and yeah. mostly in just one back corner. So I, I'm, it's great for them that these deer have been taken and more happy. But, um, but just that, that rumour that gets out to all the other people that travel from Victoria or Queensland or New South Wales to this area to hunt is enough to just reduce. They're like, I'll go somewhere else. Mm. I don't want to waste my holidays. So that could, that effect is going to, that, that, all that internal anguish as well. Like you guys are going to say, no, nah, no, nah, I'll just stay and go local. I won't bother going down there if they've baited that valley or they've chopped a cold or anything like that. And, and this with this, with this, I hate saying coronavirus because it's bloody everywhere. With the old, it's just annoying to have to say it. But again, the same thing, it'll be the same, it'll even be locals who aren't traveling hmm. just because there's no need to travel. So in Australia, they'd say it's just because they've got no toilet paper. <laughs> Kiwis, Kiwis aren't as dumb as us when it comes to uh, buying all the toilet paper at the shops. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't know what, yeah, it's uh, happening. It's the happening in the it doesn't make it yeah. yeah, it's happening in America as well. Yeah, yeah, like, like that. yeah you, it's, you need more tissues, not toilet paper. You get a runny nose, don't you? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you're saying about you know hiring cars and stuff. Like I was up in Auckland um, last weekend hiring the car, and then the shuttle driver taking me back. He's like, "Oh, think of like you say the locals." He said, "Think of you guys coming in or us would be absolutely screwed." And he sort of gave me his normal, you know, amount of trips each week. He sort of said that they hired out about 350 cars normally, and they were only doing 100, 150. So that basically nearly halved their, their um, amount of hires and they were the cheapest one as well. And I was thinking, gee whiz, you know, it's not, it's not just. And that's not it. That, and that's before they bring in this um, requirement to ring them up yeah. and do your 14 days quarantine and it's only <laughs> going to get stricter. So it's only going to get worse. Yeah. Yeah. I just, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know when it'll end. I, I was glad I booked, I booked my flights for my Landsborough ballot um, back December or January and I got travel insurance. So I'm hoping I'm covered because I purchased it way before it became an issue Yeah. Um, to get my money back on my flights. I still like to go. I don't know what the whole details are. They might just say, yeah, um, where do you work? If you, how often do you frequently travel around? What areas you spoke? They might do a case-to-case situation. I'm not sure. Um, when you call them up, come over. I'll cross that bridge when I get there. So. Hey man, there's going to be a lot of resources. <laughs> oh, there's going to be a lot of people. It's funny, though, they're saying, you know, just isolate yourself or take some time off at work. And it's like they're giving welfare recipients more money to handle the coronavirus. I'm like, they're not the ones who have to take voluntary time off work. Although I'm saying that, they're probably the ones that are the most valuable, say, so, uh, valuable, mm. vulnerable. Um, yeah. You know, and it might be the the difference that they, you know. Oh, the elderly most definitely, but I know there's a lot of young ferals kicking about. <laughs> yeah. They got they got immune systems like that are more bulletproof <laughs> than a tank. They, yeah. they could eat whatever they want and not catch any. You know, those kids that run around with uh, middle of winter with a pair of shorts on and a singlet and no shoes, and they just never get sick. They got yeah. some super immune systems. So. Might be something in that cold exposure, right? Eh? <laughs> uh, I have, I have uh, 
I said that to I had a conversation with a lady here before, and I'm like, well, you know, you kill viruses if you do the Wim Hof breathing, and your body will change your change your chemistry and just kill it. Done, over. Because <laughs> <laughs> why isn't everyone else doing it? Because it's hard work, and no one wants to do hard work. Also, so, also, you um, you might meet meet your ancestors as well. That's that's what happened to yeah. me. <laughs> Oh, I never, I never got that when I, I did it. I just got lightheaded and saw stars and sort of, yeah, you had a full roaring experience, didn't you? you yeah. Mark, Mark, out of it. Mark Clover reckoned I was roaring a bit on there. I don't know. I don't remember. I was, <laughs> I was, I was blacked out. <laughs> but if anyone listening doesn't know what it is, it's Wim Hof is, uh, Wim Hof is uh, a gentleman who's, who's, Traveled all over the world looking for uh, his wife died or committed suicide, and he's thinking he's trying to trying to help mental health rather than trying to see the answer to life and happiness and inner happiness. And found uh, found a way to expose your body to cold and basically just saturates your body with oxygen and yeah. changes your autoimmune system to pretty much be manual and and. It, change everything so it's he's worth a look up if you're into that sort of stuff he's worth the youtube and it's funny we talk about virus it'd be great to see someone who's diagnosed with it do the wim hof and see whether it kills the virus in sort of the 20 minute half an hour period yeah well that's a, that's Very interesting that's the that's the thing about um what they sort of think like it's a pretty bad flu but then your immune system starts going into overdrive and then then you end up in trouble so that that study they did where um, they injected worm and a couple of others with um, the bacteria. E. coli? Yeah, E. coli. E. Yeah, the endotoxin. And, and when they didn't do the breathing, they got the fevers and all the rest. And then they did the breathing and it was like nothing had happened. <laughs> yeah, that it was such a shock. So I, I can't I understand like a, a nerve, but I've done it a few times when I feel like I'm getting a, a flu or a cold coming down. Um, but I haven't been sick since I started being so in the carnival. So I haven't, I haven't, I haven't been crook. I've, my, I can't remember having a runny nose for more than a little while in the last sort of fourteen months. Yeah, so, no. No, definitely, definitely. Um, I haven't gone full carnival, and I'm thinking about it. But moving to this farm, we're going to be pretty close to the food anyway. But it'll be reasonably. Meat centric, but yeah, like, whole foods, so fresh veggies and yeah. fresh everything just straight, straight out of their garden. Eh? They got you know, um, got uh, angora goats, so they've got just beautiful, you know, nourishing sheep or goat poo that they put in the garden and dig in, and yeah, things grow like wildfire. <laughs> yeah, that's soil health, that's a, a thing too. That, I, I don't know. I can't step back from it. I try to. I try to eat veggies sometimes, but I just don't. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. It's even like my daughter ate, like, um, you know, she doesn't want to eat broccoli or she'll eat the odd carrot or the odd potato and stuff like that. And she'll eat, she eats, you know, fruit. And I just sort of make the rule that it should be seasonal and then I won't worry about it. But yep. yeah, you know, she'll smash the meat. And when it comes to veggies, I'm not so worried. It's just. As long as she's growing, it's all, <laughs> it's all yeah, good. Yeah, that's what, that's what our friends, the whole different perception on it. Cause she's done, she's actually uh, had all her blood tests and everything. She did it for uh, like four months or six months or something and did all her blood tests and she had nothing. 
everything was normal. Yeah. No high cholesterol or anything. Nice. And she's a lot more hardcore than I am. Like she's in diet. She's even freezing liver and dicing it up and eating the one cube a day. And I, I'm not. I'm not that hardcore. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, what was what was her uh, motivation for kicking into that? Proved me wrong, but she didn't. <laughs> so she's like, didn't believe me, and um, I said it'll improve your kid, the relationship with your kids. It'll improve, yeah, 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 energy, everything, everything. I said, um, I didn't force it. I just said, try it. I said, this is happening to me, yeah, and um. And everything happened to her, full on, without even half going. Her relationship got better with the children. Um, she stopped needing naps. <laughs> Way more energy. Lost weight. Lost bloating. Came healthier. Doesn't give a rat's ass about half the things she used to. And um, yeah, and she has no desire to change. Back. And that's the thing I was kind of wonder. Going back to that, like. Um, no issues type stuff or, or, you know, you've got everything in place and it's just to eat, eat meat. But then you kind of like when it starts to become that you only need two meals for the day, then you kind of go, well, why was I eating so much? And, and what was I doing with all that time? And, and, but then at the same time, like you say, your energy is so consistent and you're not getting those lows. You're not getting that mid afternoon. Oh man, I need to, have a nap or another coffee and oh, I shouldn't have a coffee because then I won't go to sleep at night and then you're just in this vicious cycle of being tired in the afternoon and being wired by the time you want to go to bed. <laughs> and Yeah, just, yeah, that, that cycle, yeah. Yeah, it just like takes away so many things that upset your patterning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, it's so, it's it's hard, like I've, I've, I've spoken about it on the podcast with Adam and a few others, and I, I'm like, I, I hate being that that vegan sort of harping. But <laughs> as as we say, just just try it. You never force it on anyone. We'll just say, just try it. If you don't like it, don't do it. But um, that's what old Joe Rogan said after he did it. He's like, he just tells people, just try it. So it's, but it is. It's everything we've been taught about nutrition suddenly flipped on its head, and but no one's been doing any of this long enough to have any science behind it fully, like long-term science, but the same applies for the other diet methods. The only science behind um, continually adding animal fats to your diet is uh, human evolution. <laughs> In the last the last three million years. So <laughs> yeah, and pre-colonisation um, of, of the Inuit people. Look look how well colonising them's gone. Although cigarettes... Yeah. Cigarettes yep. and booze haven't helped them much either. No, no, and no, I'm not sure. I've listened to the the uh, Aboriginals of Australia. It's the same, but there's um, a couple of good books out about their farming practices before they white fella came in, and there was another flip on your head. There's a book out called Dark Emu. Um, it'll blow your mind. Is it? It really flips everything we've been taught about them um, on their heads as well. But um. Yeah, they, they suffered as soon as we showed up and started eating our shitty food. Yeah. Um, and and so many other uh, tribes, in, like there's tribes in the Amazon, they'll eat his fish and yeah. one vegetable root. That's it. That's yeah. all they eat, salted fish in one type of tuba. 
<laughs> you can't. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's so interesting. It's just it, it affects it affects every uh, all every aspect of your life. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem that way. You get the opinion that your body can fuel you fuel your body with whatever you want, but it's the same as a vehicle or anything. It needs the exact right fuel um, for each individual. So, um, yeah. I guess I guess the and thing sort of so thing is people. Have, I was going to say, the thing is, like, there is the right fuel for your body and the season and where you are and what your genetics are, which is, I guess, the hard part. But when you take the real, like, um, clear lens of it, like being close to your food and eating the things that got you here, it, then it actually does become quite simple. <laughs> oh, and, and I, I hate, yeah, like I said, I hate sounding like it, but it's like there's no, it's a no-brainer for me. Yeah. Yeah. Some people find the same eating a keto diet, as you know, cause you're, you're, you're sort of full on. You've done that for a while now, haven't you? Yeah, that, that was sort of that was sort of where I went to was keto, and then I sort of reined it back a bit and went to more sort of paleo type thing. Yeah. Like it's not, I'm not like evangelical about it or strict about it. Like, oh no, I eat chocolate and drink alcohol. I'm not a full carnivore. But yeah, like I said, I was at my diet. Yeah, I was at a, I was at a wedding on on you know just just been and although I did get the gluten free stuff and. But then I sort of said to them, I don't worry about it. Like, I'll eat meat, meat and vegetables and there's no problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, it says a lot for, um, yeah, it's it's just, it's something that we overlook. And I keep, I keep getting back onto that subject. But you 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 yourself got me onto that, listening to one of your podcasts with Adam, I think, and then a couple of others um, changed the way I eat. And I've never been a big diet or gym junkie or anything. I think it's all crap. I think pretty much my body could convert whatever I shucked in its mouth and it wouldn't affect me at all. And, oh, geez, I was wrong. Yeah. Uh, so, and you don't know until you try it. Yeah. So here's a question for you. Like you're sitting there in the bone room and like there's lots of heads on the wall, but then you've also got all the, all the casts and stuff around. When, when you're out there, I and mean, that's what we were sort of talking about, over the weekend is almost like the difference between hunting and hiking is that with hunting, there's so many more levels, like you get the hiking part, but then you're on your own track. So that's already a level up and hikers are probably kind of bullshit, but um, yeah, this was our bias opinion. You're already a level up by being in this sort of explore, yeah. exploring type thing. And then you might hear an animal or see some sign. Yeah. And then you see an animal, and then, and then you get if you get an animal, then you've got meat and stuff. And then if it's you know something like that rack behind you, then you've got a trophy. It's just like all these sort of escalating levels to something that's already absolutely epic. Like, is that anywhere near your process yeah. when you go out, or or subconsciously, or what? <laughs> oh, I no, I, I just I used to hike before this. I I used to always walk. And yeah. not before this, before mining, before it become, and and it all stemmed from that. Even when I was a kid, I'd get with my mates, if I'd go to their farm, we'd just go walking. I don't know how we did it. We'd go out for hours without any water or food or anything. Just piss off and come back red hot, dying of thirst. But <laughs> it was always, I always had the desire to go to the top of the mountain. Yeah. Everywhere. Always wanted to go to the top of the mountain and get the view. And I still do that. I still walk to the highest points. 
I don't shortcut. I still climb to the top all the time just for that. I know where the animals are and the top, <laughs> I can't even glass them from the highest point, but I just go to it because of the view of everywhere else. And then I'll sit there and just enjoy the view and soak it up and soak up all the mountaintops. And, and like I said, then you learn the, um, you can walk, you can hike somewhere all the time, but you don't learn where every gully is. You don't learn that that this point of the day, it's going to be cooler in that gully or warmer in that gully or the sun hits that point at this time or that thermals are always dropping down that one. So that's your next level up. You become more engaged with the environment, even if you're not there. Just to walk, I can walk now on a southerly wind and stay out of the wind. I, I know where to, to duck through them, the, the ridge lines to stay out of the wind. So it's not unpleasant. It's like when you're hiking, you're just doing the miles and enjoying the environment. When I was, um, it was 2005. Yeah, I think it was 2005. I was in the Kimberley. And anyway, I was working on a million acre station up there. And I was finding more art sites on that station than anyone had before. And and I'd walk faster than most, but they're like, how do you do it? And I don't know if it was ever the hunter in me that would just be more observant, more aware of his environment, why he was walking. Mm. Um, I got no idea, but I found a uh, hundred and something art sites just in the seven months I was there. That And, and about 60 or 70 of them, people that had been there for 10 years never knew about. So, and I wonder if it was that hunter in me that was way more aware of his surroundings to pick up on the little things, the pathways or the the natural walkways or cleared areas or whatever. I don't know, but um, I don't know if we're all like that either. I don't know if it's just something that people, maybe people that have never hunted before, they get out in the bush and then it all switches on and they're like, oh, shit, why, why, why haven't I been doing this for years? Yeah. Like, um, is it is it genetic? I don't <laughs> is know. It's your blood that once that. Yeah. It's where we came from, mate. And, and we I, unlock it once we get out there. Yeah, and it also starts bringing up more questions as well. Like you're saying about seeing uh, an art site, or well, then you're like, oh shit, what's this all about? And same with like seeing springs. You're like, well, what's the geology of the place? Um, seeing different plants. And then you're like, well, is that edible? Is it edible for us? Like, could I survive on that um, if I had to? <laughs> all these, it just sort of yeah, yeah. really opens you up into all these other avenues. And like, um, yeah, all of a sudden I'm into like, you know, seeing seeing a bunch of possums. It's like, man, should bring some traps up in here. And <laughs> you know, and, yeah, and, and all, if you if you were just hiking, you wouldn't have seen those possums. Yeah. Yeah. Probably wouldn't have gone out at night. Yeah, it's um, it's um, they're talking on that on that on um flora. Um, it was a coincidental that uh, probably six months ago the pigs were really getting desperate and they were rooting up this top of this mountain. So it's about nine hundred and twenty meters up, and these little daisy tubers. I don't know what their scientific name is, but they got like a carrot on the bottom of that as a essentially a daisy. Mm. And anyway, listening to this. Um, dark emu book later on is that plant used to be quite prolific and it was a, a stable source of food um, 
for the local Indigenous all over the East Coast. But mm-hmm. due to uh, sheep and cattle, it's almost all but wiped out most of their big plantations of it where they used to sort of keep it cultivated to, to use in a time of low, or well, whenever they did, no one was around to document it, so they don't know. But yeah, I didn't notice that and I wouldn't have noticed that, but it was an odd plant. And I saw it rooted up by the pigs I was chasing. I'm like, I've never seen that before. I've never seen a tuberous root plant in the mountains here. And then heard that book later on about it and explained exactly what it is. And I was like, okay, let's link those two up. That was a a food source of the indigenous people here years ago. And it's still here, but it should have been a lot more prolific. Um, But that was just some little cool little fact that I wouldn't have picked up if I was a hiker because I wouldn't be chasing pig digging. Yeah. So, yeah. And something just other little that, that happens all the time. That little stuff. Yeah. And it, it's like it's a, it's nothing. It's nothing to somebody else. But and it doesn't mean anything if you tried to explain that. But for people who spend a lot of time in the bush, those little things can make your day someday. That little bit of this, a little bit of knowledge here and there. Yeah. So, and same same for the sky. Eh? Like wither, um, wither patterns. And then even the stars at night time, like shit, when you're away from the city, the what the stars look like, just insane. And you know, you almost want to get back and open up a sky atlas and go, what the heck was I looking at? Because <laughs> you just don't, yeah. don't see all that. Did, did you ever photograph the sky? Yeah, I've, actually, that's another thing that came from that book, the Dark Emu. Um, the 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 emu is just the the. The, a lot of indigenous all over Australia, I think, have a connection with a, a, a dreamtime creature, the emu, which is now an imprinted in the um, Milky Way as an emu. Oh, wow. And I and I've got this awesome photo of this. It's like a, a black spot where you can't see any nebulas or anything in the Milky Way, and it's actually the shape of an emu and a, and a big bright uh, planet or star is right where its eye is. And awesome. it was just by chance I photographed it perfectly <clears throat> out in the Simpson Desert, and then someone pointed out to me. But yeah, I did do that, and I've just got a new Sony A7, A7 III, I think it is, um, which got really awesome low light. But I haven't actually done any night photography with it, and I've had it for probably three months now, um, which is a shame because when it was, it's been cloud around lately. But um, when it was a drought, we had lots of clear nights lots of clear nights but I, I like to have a subject matter in in my night photos um the stars but it's no it's pretty cool isn't it that line and you don't appreciate it till you see it again they're above you every night but unless you roll out and just look up quietly um when you're out in the bush you forget that they're there almost every yeah. night sitting in your house with the lights on stuff <laughs> like that you know, I, I I do try to still get out, and same when we're in Bellin, I would sit on the on the bench and on the bench the um, balcony and, and look over the coast. Also looking at those awesome thunderstorms that I get up there. But yeah, you're saying dream time. I was super gutted to be missing Hunter's Journal's uh, movie night tonight, and that was one of the films um, he did. Cam uh, video the Blood Origins guys up in Bulldog Territory on some bulls and that, that film they called oh, Dream, right, yeah. Dream Time. And then they had a spearfishing one and then they had uh, another guy, uh, Bow Hunter, Khan Adam. Um, I think it was them chasing Seeker or, or Reds, one of the two, or both. 
yeah, so they had a yeah. little movie night on tonight down in Christchurch. So, yeah. Yeah, I saw um, Green Tree was going to that. Yeah, that was the one. He's going to the, the movie night. Will they post them? Will they be on their website? I bloody hope so. <laughs> yeah. You have a few good movies on that website, a few good short films. Yeah. yeah. No, they're, they're, they're um, doing good stuff there, you know. Our, probably one of our most successful magazines has been having a TV series and they're up to season six. And so they're doing really good sort of 40-minute 40, 40 shows. And then we've got another um, team, Hunters Club, doing good shows. So they do they get it? Do they get over to you guys or not really? I I don't have any pay TV or any sort of so I only ever see what's on YouTube or yeah. or, or Netflix. I did pay for a few Vimeo videos, hunting videos, but I don't see. So you got um the um what's it called? <laughs> Beyond the Divide with Rob yeah. Vinking. Can't yeah. say his name probably. Um. Anyway, he's 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 got a show on one of the. The channels that I I don't get it I don't I miss out on it. Um, but talking on your magazines, we've just actually just had the the last edition of our bow hunting down under magazine and one now I think it's the generation below me. Um, I'm 37 this year. Um, they're just not as inspired to write and it's just struggling to get articles into the magazine. Yeah, uh, that's what that, like Bowie was saying that you just can't get people to bring articles in, and I don't think it's that they don't want to or anything. I just don't think it's their thing anymore. We just don't. We share things now through video and photo rather than storytelling on paper as such anymore. <laughs> so these video nights are the are the the new thing. Um, yeah. Ironic, ironically, Kim, you know, it's has started. A quarterly magazine, and I think that might be what also is on his side, and you know, on high quality paper and trying yep. to get trying to get images that are you know like like yourself, Cameron, like yourself, that has yeah subject to it. It's not you know not so much about grip and grin anymore. It's about the full full both visual narrative and the story that goes with it. Um, yeah, yep. So I think you need to feel. You need to feel the photo. Yeah. When the photo's there, you got to feel that photo, and a grip and grin does not. You can't feel it. That mm. if you're seeing a photo of someone sitting exhausted, holding it, or whatever, you know what I mean. You know, I know what you're saying. That composition of those photos now, a better quality composition. Yeah. 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 Even like arrow, arrow, arrowheads like that. It's only I think six monthly arrowhead. Nice. Um, yeah. Even like that photo I put up. Um, today of, of their hind, like you know, it's I was trying to sort of show that that man, that's that's pretty pretty tough moment. And like, you take the shot from I was four hundred meters away, and and you sort of watch it stand there, and you're know, like just going, please, please drop, please drop. And then you're walking up to it, going, please have been like lethal. And yeah, I think yeah, because it's a long walk. <laughs> And then to get there, and it was you just—it's like the most ultimate relief, and like this beautiful animal was in front of you. And like I love deer, I, I want to farm deer, but yeah, to see them in the wild and and just like their skin and, and how hardy they are, and then and that's why I always try to 
take take the meat off, hey, get it, get it, get it away, get it with you, get it into a chiller or a freezer, and and, and then enjoy it for so long, and then and sharing it, hey, get having that provenance that goes with it, this the story and and the build up, and that's that's where I think. Um, you know, I'm 30, so I'm probably also ahead of a little bit ahead of that generation. But being able to write it down and, and, and have meaningful images and meaningful story means that uh, this awesome pastime is not going to be lost. And and you know, yeah, getting yeah. getting getting hold of some people and saying I'll take you for a walk is, is another awesome thing that you can do. Yeah, there's a lot of it's um and there's the what the the sharing the story in the right with the right context um also people that don't hunt can appreciate it more yeah. as well if they see and it's a real art to it there's a big art to being able to tell a story that keeps all people interested regardless yeah. of the context like regardless of what happens in it yeah but, um, it's the same with yeah i'd, I'd feel like a not so much. Yeah, when I sh- I can't I can't shoot a deer without eating. I just can't kill one. I'm get it must be me getting old. I'm not old, but uh, the older I get, the harder I find it is to kill stuff. And um and um it's the same mentality. So all that effort you put in just to pull the trigger or or hit it with an arrow just to stop at that point. Hmm. It's like it can't end there. Sometimes You're like I, I every single deer I've shot. In the last, ah, uh, it all bar one. Sorry, one deer was nasty the other year. Um, he was real super dehydrated, but I've cut the back straps at least, and I'll take, I'll debone a back leg and take the roast or steaks out of the back leg or two back legs, and or take the whole deer. Some if I go out with a rifle, I'm taken for keeps. Like I take the whole thing. That's why I take the rifle so I can shoot it where I can drive the car through it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like yeah, it just can't end there, can it? So that's a you can convince others that it just doesn't end there as well. It's not just an emotional full stop, bang, it's over, which you can do for other animals that cause issues, but it's weird with deer. It's odd. Pigs, it's just like, yeah, they are a pest. I have no issues with hitting them although I want to take more meat off the pigs because I just was cooking it wrong before and making it tough so now I need to cook it better but um yeah they just make so much reek so much havoc for farmers um spreading weed with the way that they root up the soil and they wreck tracks and wreck crops and heaps of other stuff like while they're eating they're wrecking so I've got no it's like a moral high ground when I shoot pigs <laughs> or <laughs> rabbits fact, or anything like that. So, yeah. And the fact that pigs and rabbits, they're just unstoppable. Like, they'll just, you know. They'll just go, yeah, yeah. They'll be prolific if you don't control them. We're, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Well, anyway, we've been talking. What have we been talking now? Or we might we might be going into the bit too long territory. Yeah, no. We'll, we'll wrap it up there. Sounds good. Ten past ten. Well, what is it? Ten past eight. <laughs> Good amount of time. Yeah, yeah, it's not that late. Yeah, well, thank, thanks for coming on. I've, I've been on your show, and I've been meaning to. We we've spoke about getting you on and talk a bit of Kiwi stuff. Um, we talked a bit of everything just then. It's a great conversation. <laughs> yeah. 
Awesome, man. Um, hopefully, I'll get over there one day to the North Island. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to. I'd like to hunt some sicker. So. Yeah, I need. I need to get back down to the South Island because that's where I'm from. <laughs> yeah, I've just started with the boys. Actually, we started talking about Stewart Island. And I'm getting cold just talking about it. <laughs> yeah, are you any good on a boat as well? Because it's a. It's uh, no, I'm pretty shit on a boat. Yeah, I'd yeah. have to be really drunk to get on a boat and then not be sick or just lie in the bottom in the fetal position. So. Yeah. That'll be me lying, lying down in fetal <laughs> position. Probably the same in a tree stand at Stewart Island in a fetal position, freezing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Marina will be your friend. You press stop. Thanks for that, Ryan. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Hunting Camp Down on a podcast. If you would like any information from today's show, please don't hesitate to contact us on huntingcampdownunder at gmail.com or simply hit us up on any of our social media outlets on Instagram or Facebook. Be sure to join us next week for another awesome episode and we look forward to sharing another story from Hunting Camp Down Under. Bye for now.